Welcome to the Talking Footy Podcast. Each week across the footy season, we are talking with the biggest names in the game. I'm Brad Sewell, and this week our guest is former Swans Premiership champ, Ted Richards. We chat with Ted about playing with and against the irrepressible Buddy Franklin. Buddy won't kick the goal in the first five yeah. minutes, or maybe even two. So I, I you know, walked over, I'm going, all right. And, Bu- and Bud was just like, where were you at the start of the game? What's going on? He here? wanted you to. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. It was just, he found it a bit disrespectful. We also discuss the strength of the infamous Bloods culture. When I first came to the Swans in November 2005, I was put up the front and questioned about how other teams perceived the Swans. Brett Kirk was probably the one that was leading the discussion and he wanted to know what everyone at Essendon had thought of the Swans. And the Swans are coming off a premiership. And transition and watching footy from the other side of the fence. It was just an an eye-opener for me to kind of hear some of the things that yelled out at umpires in games. 99% of it is just unwarranted. And I, I just thought that the lack of respect you know, for umpires and the role that they play in the game that is embedded. A true character of our game, Ted finished his 16-year, 261-game career with a Premiership medal, an All-Australian blazer, a best clubman for the Swans and innumerable adoring fans for his Richards Report articles. He's enjoying his first year of retirement from footy and he joins me now for a chat. We're talking footy. Teddy Richards, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Now, 33 games for Essendon, 228 for Sydney, All-Australian Premiership player. Um, Melbourne, born and, born and bred, yep. spent much time in Sydney. Are you a Melbourne man or are you a Sydney man now? Uh, 11 years in Sydney and uh, um, I really enjoyed it up there but uh, I'm back in Melbourne now and um, I'm loving it up here but uh, I think they're both cracking cities. Now, you spent... What, four or five years at Essendon? Five, yep. Five years at Essendon and then were traded to Sydney. Yep. What's your recollection of that period of time? Firstly, the characters that you played with at Essendon and then how did that trade unfold? Well, I guess if we go, go back to Essendon, uh, I was drafted October of 2000 and uh, so I went to a, a premiership team after they won the 2000 flag and um, uh, I grew up as a big Bomber fan and uh, so... Who was your favourite? Uh, well, growing up, Derek Kickett and Bradley Payne were my, um, you know, as, as, a, as a child, I had number nine on my back for a while, Derek Kickett and number 14 on my back with the long sleeves, Bradley Payne. <laughs> so I, I used to um, take a liking towards the, uh, the lesser profile, higher profile players. Yep. Um, uh, but um, and, and getting drafted to Essendon was a dream come true and there's positives and, and negatives to both that. So uh, I was in awe of... Hmm everyone that I was now calling colleagues. Yeah. So, um, yeah, ar- arriving at the club, um, you know, the people of the calibre I heard, Lloyd, Lucas, Fletcher, um, the the positives to that is, I, you know, I had all these guns that I could quickly learn off. The negatives were, I think, early days, I was just happy being friends with them. I, I didn't approach being drafted there as to the fact that, I'm going to go and take your spot, which I, I, you know, which it should be. Yeah. You know, it's great to be friends with them, but I'm being drafted to get my spot in the team. So when did you, when did you make the realization that you you weren't hungry enough, that you you were a bit friendly? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not sh- I'm not sure when. Uh, I think it was more of a, a slow burn where you know I quickly realized. Well, you know, I've 
I'm not here, you know, just to be a, a, amongst it. I've, yeah. got, I've got to make an impact. But um, uh, and as you can see in my five years at Essendon, you know, it was a very volatile in performance. I um, uh, had a couple of games in my second year, and but just constantly in and out of the team. Mm-hmm. And um, it's probably halfway through my last year. Um, in 2005 when I decided that um, this is going to be my last year and it's best for me to make a move yep. at the end of that season. Yep. The famed Bloods culture yep. at Sydney. Um, what, what was your f- sort of first initiation into that culture? And can you tell us a little bit more, about, expand on the culture itself, why is it as strong as what it is? Yeah, good question. I, I get asked it a lot and I, I think... Um, it's for a variety of reasons. And um, first and foremost, I think the fact that, you know, around the you know, early 2000s, there weren't too many people being drafted out of Sydney and New South Wales. So we were a bit of a mishmash from people all over Australia. And you come into the Swans, you've got no, you come into Sydney, you've got no family, you've got no school friends, you've got no support structure. All of a sudden, your club. Is everything, and apart from your partner, yeah. <laughs> um, but um, your, your club is everything. So you socialise together. I, I, I just think I, there was a comparison I could make between Essendon and the Swans. At at, at the end of training, when I was at Sydney, the, you know, we'd, we'd go and socialise together on the weekend after games. We'd do everything together before training, and it's and it wasn't very groupy. It was just one big group of yep. you know. Barry Hall would hang around, you know, the first year players. It was it was a tight unit, but also we had people in control. We had people at the caliber of Stewie Maxfield and Brett Kirk that had had um, and had set up the culture. And um, I was f- fortunate enough to be able to kind of um, join in after the people like that had uh, turned the club around a bit. Yeah. And um, uh, even though I said that. The, the team was quite close. That all that also drive each other pretty hard and eyeball each other and have have, have the awkward tough yeah. discussions. So that, that's something in football that I think Sydney begun almost. You know the leading teams model and yeah. um, and underpinned a lot of your success and, and that's what your culture was built around. Yeah, and um, yeah, they're awkward conversations, but uh, you seem to have them pretty naturally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well. Um, when I first came to the Swans in November 2005, I think it was, uh, I was put up the front and um, questioned about how other teams perceive the Swans. And um, Brett Kirk was probably the one that was leading the discussion. Yeah. And he wanted to know what everyone at Essendon had thought of the Swans. And the Swans are coming off a premiership, you know, a gun team, gun list. And they're still looking at, at what people think mm. about them because I think it all came back to in about 2002, 2003 when the Swans, the perception that they heard were is that they were considered a team that if you push them hard enough, they'll give up and that um, if you um, – that they, they had some soft players and that um, in 2003 they really addressed that and that's when you had they had their spike in their performance. Yeah, you're – pivotal part of the team and the, and the culture throughout such a successful period for Sydney, you missed one finals. Yeah, I, I there's a quote I love um, and I've said it uh, to someone recently. Um, uh, 
plant a seed to grow a tree under the shade of which you'll never sit. We we had pay, I I came in two thousand and end of two thousand and five after Swans had just won a premiership. So yeah. I was a beneficiary of a lot of hard work that had been done before me by people like Stewie Maxfield that I never actually got to to play alongside. Yeah. And yeah, in in doing so, I had eleven years at the Swans. Played was involved in finals ten of which the only year. Um, that we missed out. I think we finished ninth or tenth, so we, you know we were close that year too. Yeah, thereabouts there again um, in two thousand nine. I think it was. There are a number of, from the outside looking in, a number of pivotal moments of change during your yep. period uh, at Sydney. Talk through us the the ruse sort of Longmire handover. Yep, and what that was like from a player's perspective to to have the assistant coach now coming in, taking charge. Yeah, it, it wasn't a um, a real black and white thing where all of a sudden horse is doing things and, and Rusey's not around. Um, uh, there was a bit of a uh, progression mm-hmm. in that um, horse would normally control pre-seasons. Um, Rusey would uh, normally have an extended spell over uh, November, December, <laughs> is, is January. Is he there or has he got his feet up in the uh, wire? No, he, he, like, he, was, he was normally in California. <laughs> uh, um, so, uh, and, um, but, but, you know, Ruzi would come back. But he, I think he, he also knew that it would, you know, was great for the football club yeah. to, um, to give Horse that responsibility. But also um, um, Horse would quite often coach the NAB Cup or whatever it was called back then. And... Um, so, you know, th- these things have been put in place years before the Ruse, um, Ruse Longmire mm. um, handover. And, um, you know, and Horse, who's so, you know, so I guess knows what, how good that was for him, is now doing similar things with um, the assistants under him. So you feel like there's going to be a similar transition at some well, point? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if there's going to be such a, um, a forecast um, handover at some point in time, but. Um, if you're just looking at our, our pre-season um, JLT Cup what, yep. tournament, whatever it is this year, uh, I think each assistant coach was handed the reins for a game this year. Um, Stewie Rick Maxfield's probably our most senior assistant coach that we have and um, he's given uh, quite a bit of responsibility yep. both in pre-season and during the rest of the season. Yeah. And you brought up a name earlier that, uh, that I wanted to touch on also is Barry Hall. Yep. Firstly, the character that he is and the infamous moment that yep. uh, has recently been in, in publicity again. Oh, Barry Hall has whacked behind play. That is ridiculous, Barry Hall. He has smacked Staker in the head and he will be reported. Completely undisciplined. It was a left hand. Staker stood down. It was a left hook and it was a very cheap shot off the ball, I have to say. Oh, it was a shocker. Well... He's let himself down completely there, Barry Hall. That is the sort of thing that we thought was out of his game. I think we thought that was out of the game, full stop, right? Absolutely. That is just so disappointing. Well, he'd be looking at uh, a minimum of five or six, I reckon, for that. The Staker hit, which, you know, is much publicised and credit to Hawley for apologising and and being able to, you know, it's it's a terrible thing that happened, but being able to somehow turn this into a positive and, and um, you know, just with the awareness, apologise and say that there's no place for that in sport. Yeah. But that was just the the beginning of um, Hawley's, I guess, time in Sydney coming to an end. He actually hit Rutten 
that, that same season and that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. I mean, we understand everyone's seen the incident. It was caught on television, obviously, and, and as a footy club, you know, we, we know it's unacceptable. Um, Barry understands it's completely un unacceptable. The medical experts agree. Director of Neurology at the Royal Melbourne Hospital, Professor Andrew Kay, says the blow could have been fatal. Once again, apologise to Brent Staker for the for the incident. Uh, it's unacceptable, and um, you know I'll, I'll try and better myself so that doesn't happen again. A contrite Barry Hall apologised yesterday, but that hasn't quelled the anger of Brent Staker's mother, who wants the AFL Tribunal to make a stand tomorrow night with a heavy suspension. When he hit Staker at the time, we kind of we can't, he'd, he'd earned up some credits, so we're going, all right, yeah, hopefully this is a one-off. But by the time that it came around, he hit Rutten a few few weeks later, or actually, you know, a bit later. Yeah. We're like, well, hang on, you've got a bit of a theme here. And um, that was kind of, the, that was when things started to, like, he was having a lot of chats with, uh, with, the co with Ruse and, and uh, the captains behind closed doors. And uh, I think that's when Hawley really needed time out and he ended up making a move. How difficult is that? How disruptive is that from a team performance point of view when you've got such a pivotal player um, just losing his way slightly? Yeah, we, and we, we acknowledged at the time and, and we eyeballed him and we had those discussions and we, we, you know, we called it for what it is, it's selfish. And, um, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty tough. Um, we had, you know, young players like Nick Smiths of, of the yeah. world that might have been 2021 encouraged to give feedback to a champion of the game and say, you know, what you do, you're dogging me, you're dogging your teammates. And um, Hawley got a lot of that feedback. And um, um, I think, yeah, you know, it's, it, was, it was tough. How, how did you get yourself as a senior player getting feedback from those first, second year rookies coming? I mean, it's, it's one thing to be able to say, you promote that and you expect that yeah. of, the, of those guys, but when they've got, so little experience. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think normally it's normally people are spot on when, when they, they're seeing things and they're thinking things. Yeah. And um, sometimes people call, you know, say perceptions reality. And if you, you're hearing it enough from from enough people, yeah. that there must be something there. So, um, but I was always, I was, I had a healthy, I called it a, a healthy amount of paranoia, but sometimes <laughs> it was an unhealthy amount of paranoia <laughs> about my own self. So if someone was to bring something up, I was probably thinking it too. So uh, if it was a positive, but an unhealthy paranoia. Yeah, and I, I, you know, that that that's you know what what drives what drove me, and I think drives a lot of athletes is that constant fear of failure, and um, um, you you got to turn use that and as much as you can to drive yourself. But as a as a full back, it's just part of the, the job description. <laughs> well, it certainly yeah, is, and yeah. that, that's a great segue into the the next. Subject I wanted to bring up in that as that fullback, centre half back. How did you handle that healthy paranoia when you're playing on Lance Franklin? Yeah, and you knew that was coming up. Well, it's he's got a great ability to you know embarrass you and and and, <laughs> and like yeah, if there's ever going to be someone where like yeah on the back page of the Herald Sun and, and yeah the whole world's laughing at you. Yeah. It, it might be at the end of a, a game playing on Buddy, but um, surprisingly, the game that I'm most proud of was on Buddy and um, that was, I think, something like round eight, 2012, where we played um, We played you guys down in Tassie. Yep, yep. And um, I played on Buddy and I went into the game incredibly nervous and um, about, you know, potentially being yeah. embarrassed. And um, 
uh, I kept them goalless. And not only that, um, I was just pulling everything down. I, was, I, I, I couldn't believe it. I was just marking <laughs> everything. Yeah, I was intercepting everything. And, um, you know, and I'm still playing on Buddy. And it was halfway through the last quarter. And Swans, we'd come back from nowhere. Yeah. We were down by a lot. Yeah. And um, uh, it was probably, yeah, 10 minutes to go. And I'm playing fullback on Buddy. And um, Ryan Schoenmakers came there. Yeah. Came down to tag me, and I was and I thought, you know, I'm playing fullback. I'm getting tagged. I'm playing on Buddy. I had to pinch myself. Yeah, you know. is it getting any better? I know, I know, and I, I constantly reminded Bud of that day and just highlight of my career. Well, it got it got better a little bit later in that. Year. Oh yeah, yeah, it did get well, better. Yeah, I mean, we're both one of the lucky few that's played with and against him. Yes, yeah, true. Um, How did you find that? You know, playing against him. Arm across, you know, yeah. trying to man one of the most, one of the best players in the modern era, to yeah. then all of a sudden being his teammate. Was he was he lippy out there when you were playing? Yeah, he was. Him? Yeah, and um, that that's that's that suits Bud, you know. Yeah. I, I um, but uh, it's not part of my game. Yeah, no, I love a good chat after the game, before the game, but I, I'm, my band is horrible during the field. <laughs> I'm just. <laughs> It comes back to that paranoia of just focusing on one thing, and uh, I don't have enough time to um, there any, any get some chat going. Are there any lines or any conversations oh, that stand out? Oh, there was one game uh, in 2012. Um, uh, I think we were playing you guys towards the end of the season, maybe yeah. round 22. Yep. And we, I think the the top four was pretty much set, so there was no point us going out and risking everything for a win. So we changed mm-hmm. up our back line and strategy a bit, and um, I think we we started. Someone else on Buddy, and um, uh, Buddy went kicked the goal on the first five yeah. minutes, or maybe even two. And so, fifteen minutes into the first quarter, I think we had to kind of concede. <laughs> all right, this is not working. Put me over to Buddy. So, um, <laughs> bring, bring the big dog. Down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, so I, you know, walked over. I'm going all right, and but and Bud was just like, "Where were you at the start of the game? What's going on?" <laughs> he here? wanted you too. Oh yeah, I know. It was just. He found it a bit disrespectful that uh, I didn't come to him, you know, at the He's start of it. personally. Yeah, I know, I know. I was like, yeah, so, um, yeah, so uh, I think you guys went on to win that game. Well, yeah, I, I think you're right. But mm. unfortunately, that wasn't the game that mattered. Nah, nah, nah. you were reportedly on one leg. And yeah. yeah. Lazarus, like, yeah. from nowhere, you... Um, yeah, I think I said that quote. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what happened? You, you Did you... Ankle in the prelim. Yeah, I did uh, syndesmosis in yeah. the prelim, and um, uh, the syndesmosis is the 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 little tendon between the your tibia and your fibula one. that um, holds those two bones together. So yep. I had a a sloppy dead ankle, pretty much that was just aching, and um, I was paranoid about being able to um, change direction when I ran, and and let alone running. I couldn't mm. test it out throughout the week, and. Um, I was really paranoid that I was going to be a liability in the team if I couldn't get through the first quarter. Unfortunately, you weren't. Ah, because well, yeah. you were fantastic that day. Oh well, to credit to Buddy, you know, Buddy kicked three and, and missed a lot, but um, I, I had an all right last quarter. But um, by no means do I think I yeah. beat Bud on the day. Yeah, and then to him becoming a teammate. Yeah, yeah. So that that was that was another one where um, I. I didn't want to. I, I'd heard word from um, someone at the club that we were mm-hmm. we were going after him, and I didn't want to count my chickens until I saw that the trade had been done because um, that was just going to ease a bit of that paranoia that I spoke <laughs> about before. If he was yeah. down the other end of the field and on my team, and uh, I was happy just to um, 
uh, cop the negatives of being the intra-club practice games would be a bit yes. harder, but uh, yes. for the positives would outweigh the negatives. Um, was he the character that you thought he was? Was he the personality? I mean, how, how do you strike him, I guess, as an opponent and then yeah, you know, he, came across? Yeah, he, he was, but he wasn't at the same time because um, on-field he has this um, this on-field persona and that that is you need to be arrogant out in the field. You need to be thinking that, I need to get the ball in my hand because I'm going to tear this game apart. That's a that's a healthy th- healthy healthy thing. But um, off field, Bud's quite fairly quiet. Mm. You know, th- th- this persona, persona is an on field thing, and he switches off off field. So um, um, we we uh, we got down to um, we had a little welcoming t- session for yeah. uh, Bud at the Beach Road Pub in uh, Bondi, and um, we'd had a few beers, and uh, I think Bud really wanted to win the meat raffle. <laughs> <laughs> And I can remember, like, I bought a couple of tickets. He bribed the guy. I don't know how much he paid. And um, that was that was my intro to uh, to Bud when he bribed the meat, the meat raffle a and won a, won a couple of dozen sausages. And uh, what do you reckon he did with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah. But um, apart from that, um, yeah, he, you know, he, it's just been it's with, been great times. Without without further enhancing his mystique and yeah. the last question. For Melbourne Melbourne teams, yep. what someone like Bud does for a Sydney club in Sydney. Yeah. Now, you know, obviously Barry Hall, Tony Lockett, these icons of the game that move to Sydney and take the game with them. Yeah, it's 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 a great thing because in, in Sydney there's you've got you've got um, soccer fans, you've got uh, league fans, you've got union fans in, in AFL. What Bud was doing was drawing people over. They they knew a little bit about the Swans, but they wanted to come to the game. They didn't know anyone else in the on the on the team. They might not have even known who a Jared McFay was, mm-hmm. but they knew who Bud was, and they just cheer when the ball goes near him, you know. And and um, he was just drawing people to the game. And um, uh, I I'm, I get really annoyed when people comment about Bud's. Yeah, you know, whether he's going to see out the nine years of his contract or not, because I think Bud's legacy shouldn't be determined by what year seven, eight, and nine are going to look like in his contract. He has been a, a, above and beyond what we hoped for yeah. as as a recruit. Um, I wasn't even someone involved, but yeah, you know, just as a fan <laughs> of the team. It. Yeah, I'll, I'll claim it. Yeah. Um, just just as a fan of the team, like he's gone above and beyond, and what he's done on field and off field. Is, is what we should measure on um, his legacy on yeah. and, not, and not, say, five years' time. Sunday, join us for Game Day. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to our 10th season of Game Day. Hosted by Hamish McLaughlin, every Sunday at 10am on the channels of 7. She caught up exclusively with Rui this morning. They're pretty confident as well that structurally it's OK. Christian Petrarca's in love with Christian Petrarca. <laughs> it's where all of footy's big names come to play. This is your, you know, your first year out of the game now. Yep. Um, things didn't quite go to plan for you last year. Yep. How'd that play out? And how do you grapple or struggle with or come to terms with the way that you played out? Uh, I, I think you can never assume anything in football, um, but you can, if it makes any sense, you assume even less once mm-hmm. you hit 30 mm-hmm. because you can't take anything for granted because... Um, You've got a lot of factors that can come into um, affecting your performance with increased risk of injury, team performance, um, not being 
at the peak of your career no, no longer. And so going into the season, I think I was 30, 33 mm-hmm. and um, I knew I couldn't take anything for granted. And, um, you know, I had a lot of things go well, you know, got three Brownlow votes one game. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> first three, right? yeah, yeah, I know my first three. Yeah. But um, unfortunately, uh, you know, some other things didn't work out <laughs> my way. But um, uh, there's, I'm going to give you another quote here. Um, there's, a, there's a quote by General Patton. Um, yeah, you accept the challenge without reservation or doubt. Um, you risk the depression of losing so you can yep. face the uh, experience, the exhilaration of winning. I, I just remind myself that when... Um, when you know times are down, I, I went into the season risking a lot yep. to be able to finish my my, my career off with the fairy tale mm-hmm. finish of a of a premiership and a grand final. It didn't eventuate, but I signed up for that. So unfortunately, you got the eight games. Yeah, I got eight games, and... which is you know eight more than a lot of other people. Yep. and I had a, great memories, and but mm-hmm. unfortunately, wasn't the fairy tale finish, but. I, I don't reckon it would be 0.1 of a percent that get a fairy tale finish. No, I completely agree. Mm. That that environment that you've come from, yep. Now into the afterlife, almost. Yep. How's the transition been? And you know, obviously coming from Sydney and moving down and back down to Melbourne now. Yeah. With your with your family. Yeah, it's it's. If we go back to that paranoia, like I I never took anything for granted in that. I signed a lot of one-year contracts throughout my football career. You know, I was lucky enough to play for 16 years, mm. um, five at Essendon, 11 at the Swans. But I always thought that a, a tap on the shoulder was potentially, you know, six months away to say that football was going to be done with me as opposed to me being done with football. So I, I wanted to put things in place so that if I ever did get that tap, um, that I was – I had – I was going to be uh, going into my next career with, I guess, in the best shape that I can. So I, um, I studied as much as I can, could and um, did work experience. Mm. I worked for the last six years of my career on my day off. And um, so, yeah, going into the workforce wasn't completely foreign. Um, I thought I might have need some time off after football, but um, the game's very quickly drawn me back. I'm, I love going watching the Swans play mm. and... Um, the habits, you know, I'm actually going to possibly start playing again. <laughs> That's something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've started going to training with the old Zavs and it's an ongoing... Well, I was, I was about to ask you what you miss about the environment that you've come from, that you're sort of yeah. stepping straight back into it. Well, um, the obvious one's the paycheck. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> that makes but, Yeah, yeah. But um, uh, to, to, a, to a lesser extent. But um, yeah. I... I, I enjoy working out. Maybe I've got too much of an ego, but I enjoy the physical and the mental side of, of the, the of the um, um, of what you get after work out. Yeah, yeah. And um, but working out by yourself is something that you know I I haven't you know I love going out there and running around with thirty of your mates and yeah. um, on a footy field and with training or, or playing. So um, I just thought well. Well, Maybe I could squeeze in a few more games. And, how's, uh, yeah. how's that paranoia going? Well, uh, the thing I'm paranoid about right now is my wife being uh, giving me permission to, uh, <laughs> to, to have weekends uh, allocated to that. But um, well, I hope you broached it with her. Yeah, 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 yeah. I did, and um, she shut the conversation down pretty quick. But uh, <laughs> we'll go again. Um, just to just to take you back um, to your season 2010. Yep. Um, things in pan out at all there you yep. dropped for the second half of the yep. year yep and um, i think it was a change of change of coach 
Yeah. That when that played out? Yeah, 2010, we, uh, I had about eight weeks in the reserves. Yep. And um, I thought it was, in the, it was actually in the middle of the season. Mm-hmm. I, I actually thought that I was out of contract that year and I thought, well, you know, I can't get a game. I think I was probably 26, 27. Um, this may be it for me. And um, fortuitously for me, Craig Bolton went down. He got injured. Yep. Needed me to need, needed another defender. I got I got an opportunity again, and actually played some of the best footy I had, and it got me another one year deal. And um, so I kind of at the end of that season just really reassessed kind of where I'm at. Mm. I've got another opportunity here. How am I going to go about it? And did a lot of thinking about how I want to approach that next year. And what's yeah, so I um, how did that play out? Yeah, so there are quite a few few things. Um, the first is I kind of just gave myself an assessment of where I where I uh, it was actually a book I was reading at the time, Good to Great by Jim Collins, and um, in that the book they the uses analogy is the um, the fox and the hedgehog. And this I, I know you, I'm, I might be losing, yeah I might, might be losing a bit here, but no, no. the the fox. Is, you know, is all about outsmarting your, its opponent and yep. um, doing everything like that, and, and it's great. And, but the hedgehog has just got one thing to defend itself, and that's. And I and I, I kind of thought, well, I'm trying to be a fox. I'm trying to play every position on the field. I'm trying to do whatever I can. I just want to be that hedgehog. Mm-hmm. I'm stuff being a someone that can play forward on either end. Stuff someone that can play on the wing. I'm just going to set myself to be the best centre half back in the competition, which is. Huge thing for someone to say yeah. that's spent eight weeks in the reserves that year. So I started the self-talk and I, I kind of started assessing myself against other defenders out there. That, that are, I looked at Rutten, Glass, Scarlet, these type of guys and compared where I fell up short against them. And the two things that I, I can remember at the time that was how much bigger they were than me, um, not in height but yep. muscly and, um, and also... They don't, they're not content with just spoiling or they'll, they'll try and outmark their opponent too. So um, I, I wanted to become – I just wanted to work on um, my, my marking and yep. I wanted to get my weight up. And um, so it's probably October pre-season. Would it, it's going to start again a month, two months' time and I thought, well, stuff the 3K time trial. Hmm. I, I don't care about it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put on five kilos and I know it's going to cost me – 30 seconds or whatever in the time trial, but um, I think it's going to be the best thing for me come yeah, March. Yeah. And, I mean, you had a solid year in 2011, but 2012, yeah. you had a huge year, all-Australian yeah. um, premiership player. How did you build on that again from from the year previously? Yeah, well, 2011 was huge for me. You know, I'd, you know, in 10 years of playing, I'd never finished in the top 10 of the best and fairest or anything like that, and then to come... Fifth, I think. You know, it was kind of yeah. re- recognition that what I was doing was working, and I thought, well, I, you know, I really worked on my self-talk, and um, I kind of, I, I, I thought, well, if I've, I've come this far, there's no reason why I can't keep going, and um, I probably started to focus more on my um, my mental side of the game. I started doing a lot of visualization about yep. um, about. And picturing myself dominate my opponent on the weekends. I, I yeah, so make, just break that down a little bit. What, yeah. What's that actually? The visualization. It's it's becoming more and more apparent in today's game. Yeah, it's a bit of a weird one. I, I, I didn't speak about it at the time because I didn't want to be sound like some idiot. That's kind probably of head, probably ahead of your time. Oh well, 
I don't know about that. Um, but I normally our Wednesday uh, our day off would fall on a Wednesday, and I'd work after work. I'd go to I'd drive to Centennial Park in Sydney and sit down in the same same uh, chair each time, and just sit there for forty five minutes, and just I'd close my eyes and I'd just play the game. Mm. I'd play the game in my mind. I'd picture it all, and I'd picture myself so much so to drive into the game, getting changed, ankles strapped, and when the game would come around on the weekend. And I also, with doing the visualization, yep. I'd, I'd find it quite stressful because, you know, there'd be the build up. And but when it came to the game that weekend on Saturday, I'd actually feel like I've already been through this. I know what to do. Hmm. I've, I've already pictured myself, you know, beating full forwards, out marking them, you know, you know, bodying them up and dominating them. And um, I got confidence out of that. Yeah, so that was something that was part of my routine right through to I finished up. Yeah, what what are some of the some of the more specific, I guess, life skills you've taken out of football because you're quite a unique character yep. within football circles. Yep. And what 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 are some of those life skills that you've learned from footy that will hold you in good stead for yeah? It's next a, it's, a, it's an interesting question. Um, I, I guess uh, I was I was never someone that could rely on you know talent. Well, you know, this is, this is what I thought. You know, I never was someone that would rely on talent to to have the career. So I used to, I, I relied on hard work, mm-hmm. attention to discipline, uh, attention to the small things, and um, discipline. And I and I think that I'm I'm trying to apply that to my next career. But um, you've, I've also seen you know professionalism and 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 which is a very broad term, but. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess constantly trying to improve is something that I've seen other players do and um, staying out of your comfort zone. I guess they're, they're yeah. just some things. You, you sat for a number of years and were always heavily involved with the AFLPA and, and yep. sat on the board there as yep. well. Fresh out of the game and, and now seeing it from the other side of the fence, yep. is, it, is it unfair the expectations that these young kids coming into the game are thrust upon them from the football community. We've seen recently in a couple of weeks, or you know, over the last couple of weeks, some mental health yep. issues and guys putting their hand up saying they need some, they need a break and they need some time out. Yep. H- how do you see that? Yeah, I, I, I you know, I've got to understand my um, circle of competence. I, I, I can't um, speak about the, the guys that have had mental health issues because, um, yeah, I, I don't know, their, I don't know their their circumstances, but. Um, it has been much publicised about athletes struggling to with um, progress uh, with with their their next career after their their sporting mm-hmm. career, and I kind of feel like we had a lot of these discussions ten years ago. Yeah, and so um, I, I don't want to be having these discussions. You know, in another ten years' yeah. time, you've got to put things in place when you're 18, 19, 20, because you cannot take for granted that you're going to become a 30-year-old and then move on to your next. You, something could come from nowhere mm-hmm. where at 23 you're out of the game and you, you, you need to you need over years to be able to put things in place with study and contacts and mm-hmm. things like that. So um, um, I get annoyed when I hear that, you know, on days off people spend most of their time with their PlayStation or, you know, Someone's not willing to give up a game of golf a week, you know, because yep. you know you've got to make sacrifices for your football career, but you've also got to make sacrifices, you know, if you're if you want to move on and, and get into a 
a next career somewhere else. Yep, yep. And just before we finish up, you spoke about your next career. What are you doing now? Yeah, so I, um, I'm working for an automated um, investment management uh, service. We're called Six Park, and um, we're, we're down here in Melbourne. And um, so, uh, what's traditionally done uh, with a face to face with a financial advisor, part of that we automate, and uh, which you know heavily reduces our um, our fees, and we yeah. pass that that uh, saving on to our clients. So, um, yeah, I um, I've been working for a lot in um, in the markets, and uh, when this opportunity came up, I jumped at it you've, because uh, it's a it's a great little business. You've just taken an analytical approach from football into the next yeah phase. yeah yeah. Well, and you're uh, doing you done podcasts? You're doing some podcasts? Yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. Um, thanks. Yeah, I've, I've um, it's good I, little plug in there. Yeah, well, I've, 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 I started there. the podcast, and uh, just because a lot of people want to know about what exchange traded funds are and some of the things that we do at work, and um, I thought, well, you know. I enjoy chatting with people. It's, yep. By no means am I an ex-footballer telling people what to do with their money because <laughs> uh, if there's one thing I know, it's don't listen to an ex-footballer talk about money. <laughs> it's me normally sitting down with, with a bit of a gun in, from the industry and, and asking them. So in the first episode, I, I spoke with um, Damien Sherman who's quite high up at Vanguard and, and we just spoke about exchange-traded funds and the pros and, and cons of those and um so it's a, it's a bit something it's not too much banter going on but maybe on your commute to and from work you might that's, might learn a few things that's a that's a pretty solid plug in itself yeah so it is too well, yeah, check, check me out the richards <laughs> report the richards report yeah. make sure you get that out there um a couple of quick questions just to finish yep best player played with and the best player played against okay um oh oh but Buddy and Goodsy were just we, – we're so, you know, so entertaining to be yeah. able to stand back at full back and just watch them, what they're doing at the other end of the ground was mm-hmm. just so enjoyable. But also I don't want to disqualify anything that, that um, was done at Essendon and then in particular Hurdy. Yeah, of course. Um, uh, Hurdy standing up at big times and um, kicking important goals. Yep. Um, I watched Buddy and Goodsy a lot from full back. I watched Hurdy more so mm. from the bench. Yeah, exactly. They're better from. than most people's seats. <laughs> um, I mean, it's, it's someone we haven't touched on is, is Adam Goods. Yep. An icon of the game. Yeah. So um, it's sad. It's, you know, it's incredibly sad for how Goodsy's um, career finished. And um, I, I was thinking about this not that not that long ago, but... I'm not sure if Foxtel still has Tuesday night football, but I, I feel like at some stage in the future, whether it's 10 or 20 years' time, they'll do Tuesday night football and pick out a, an old game from 2014 yeah. or something like that. And, you know, Swans will be playing, I don't know, West Coast or something like that, and we'll be watching it on Tuesday night and every time Goodsy goes near it, mm. the whole crowd will be booing. I'll have to explain to my son why that happened and it's just embarrassing that it went on for so long. And that's I know that's other people got their own opinions, but for me, I find it embarrassing that that, that went on for so long in Australia because, um, um, yeah, it's it's a sad day. That I mean, that affected all of us, but you, yeah. you were obviously at the club and yeah. saw it firsthand. He was a, a shattered man. Yeah, it, it was. And, um, um, yeah, so um, hopefully we've learnt some things out of it and um, – you know, it was a negative, but hopefully some positives came out out of it, and that people had some tough conversations at home about mm-hmm. about um, what discrimination means and what it, in different forms that it comes it comes in. And um, anyway, um, yeah, yeah. Hopefully, we've moved on a better way from it. Yeah, absolutely. Best advice you've been given? Uh, oh, this is 
it's pretty it's a pretty bored, boring one, but um, um, reading. Yeah, I, I just think um, of you know um, Agassiz's books. Um, I think it's called Opens. Probably my favourite book that I've ever read. Yeah, and um, he's got a line in it of all the things that he's learned in life. Um, yeah, encouraging his kids to read is is um, something that he's he's going to be so firm mm. on. And, and 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 I'm the same. I um, um, yeah, just just um just reading and, and from other people's experience and and everything like that is just a great habit to get into. Yeah, yeah. When was the last time you cried? Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Without notice. I'm okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, well, I'll be honest here. Yeah. I uh, I drove down from Sydney um, six weeks ago and uh, by myself, you yeah. know, with the car packed up, and uh, I, I cried as I um, got a bit of you. Yeah, I cried as I left. Um, and that's no disrespect to Melbourne. I love it, but so many fond memories that you know of. Of Sydney, um, you know, eleven of the best years of my life. It's where I, where I went, met my wife, had my son, um, and you know, they're, they're significant life events, but also just little things about this is where I don't know. I don't know. I just used to go for, yeah, for my morning coffee each day. This is where you know Bronte Pool, where is where I'd go for my morning swim, and um, so I, I cried and had to call my wife, and um, yeah, and. Uh, so uh, that was the last time I cried. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate your honesty. It's fantastic. Mm. And where do you see yourself in twenty years' time? Gee, uh, that's a good question. Um, no idea. I'm 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 thor- thoroughly enjoying um, uh, life in Melbourne. Um, currently living with my in-laws while we um, uh, wait for our rental to open up. With so, no, uh, with no disrespect, you are enjoying your time in Melbourne. I am enjoy- I am enjoying my time in Melbourne. But <laughs> if I, if Oh, if I'm still living with my in-laws in 20 years' time, <laughs> I'm out of here. Um, uh, yeah, so um, anyway, 20 years' time, uh, I'll be 54. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife's, um, we've got another baby due in a couple of months' time and um, um, oh, who knows what Six Park will be then. Right now, we're, we're a little start-up with about five or six of us. Oh. But um, um, so... I'm very excited about what my future um, has and I'm, I'm very lucky in life. Would you change anything about the game at the moment if you could? Uh, I, I went to the um, MCC for the first time ever a few weeks ago and I, I sat in there and this is kind of the first time I've been to the football and not sat with yep. home fans. Uh, not home fans but, you know, in a, in a little um, player area or whatever like that and it was just an... And I opened it for me to kind of hear some of the, some of the things that are yelled out at umpires in games, and I, I, I just like ninety nine percent of it is just unwarranted. And I, I just thought that the lack of respect, you know, for umpires and the role that they play in the game that is embedded. And I know some people go, well, you know, it's my right and opportunity you know, to to yell abuse at someone, mm. but yeah, you know, it's just I think it's just. It's it's in the extremes, like how much, and yeah. also fans abusing their own players. Yeah. Um, you know, I heard some of that going on. So um, uh, maybe I'm a bit soft and sensitive, but uh, I'd like to change that. Yeah. And to close, general pattern or otherwise, there a final quote you'd like to leave us with? Um, do you know? No, nah, I've, I've probably given you enough quotes, but um, you never have enough quotes. Um, um, well. Um, my mum would love this because this is one of her favourite quotes. It's the secret to success is good preparation. I, I've got that in, ingrained in my in my me, and I I um uh, I keep reminding myself that you know keep preparing so when opportunities come to 
to be able to make make your most of them. And you've certainly enjoyed those fruits throughout your career, yeah. and I'm sure you will for the next career coming. Ted Richards, thank you very much for joining us. Oh, thanks, Sully. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Talking Footy podcast, please make sure you leave us a review. It's simple. Jump on iTunes, search Talking Footy podcast, and give us a rating. Even leave us a review and tell us what you want to hear. And don't forget to check out our other episodes, including Annie McGuire, Bob Murphy, and my chat with Jeff Kennett. Keep checking in for new episodes every week. We're talking footy.